Well, good morning. I encourage you to get your Bibles and turn to your section of your Bible where we read about the Ethiopian eunuch, and we'll be there in just a moment. One of the things I love about this congregation is the way you worship. You know, we can have a lot of laughs and a lot of warm feelings and everything, but you put first what is first, and that's our Lord. And I appreciate the reverence and the seriousness as we approach God. That's very important, and I thank you so much for that. That means a lot. I saw a lot of the children coming in with little stop signs. I know Mitch was trying to get them, starting holding up during my sermon, but when I'm not stopping, so <laughs> that's not going to happen. So make sure Mitch doesn't get those. Just a couple of things before we get started uh, this morning as we think about some things. Uh, Mitch mentioned my son Jordan will be coming here next year. He is my favorite preacher, not because he's my son, but he's just my favorite preacher. He worked with me for about a year, and I was training him, but I always sat on the front row with a yellow pad, and he'd just get nervous, and I'd just feel that yellow pad out. He'd get done, I'd say, well, let's talk. And we'd go over stuff. But now I sit on the front row, and when he's done, i say, can I have that sermon? It's a good <laughs> sermon, but it is so good, so good. Um, tomorrow morning, and Tuesday morning, and Wednesday morning, we're going to do something a little special. We're going to do some morning classes. And I know a lot of you work, a lot of you at school, but if you can squeeze a little bit of time to be with us at 10 o'clock in the mornings, it won't be real long, but we're going to just take some things from the life of Jesus, just kind of look at a page in the life of Jesus, some practical lessons, and uh, each of them are going to be different. So if you only come to one, just come to one, and we'd love to have you as we kind of think about some of these things, kind of encourage each other as we think about our Lord and our Savior. Well, her name was Edith, and her story is told in the book Under One Roof. And Edith has a fascinating story. She was born in Seattle in 1921. She went overseas to help in a war effort on the European side. And when they found out she was underage, she couldn't serve, so she just started helping orphans. Her mother became very sick in Seattle, so she came back home. And they lived in a little farmhouse, and her mother begged her, let me die in this house. And so Edith stayed there and took care of her mother until she passed away. Time came on, and there was a lot of development taking place around that little farm. And Edith was offered a million dollars for her property, and she wouldn't sell it. And what the people did, they just started building around her, all around her. When they had a crane going above her house, she just turned her TV set up real loud. And a man by the name of Barry Martin, who was the project engineer, kind of befriended Edith and took care of her. And Edith said, like my mother, I want to die in this house. And he made sure that happened. And so after she died, he wrote this book called Under One Roof. Disney got a hold of it, and you ever seen the movie Up, about the little house with the balloons? It's based upon Edith and that story. But that idea of rising up, building, that's, a, that's in the Bible in lots of places. Nehemiah talks about rising up and building. Uh, it's kind of built in our DNA, you know, when, when we think about the history of our people, that idea of rising up and building there, you know, the battle cry for the Texans was, remember the Alamo. That was a defeat, but that's not going to end us. And we're going to rise up and, and do better over those things. And, and we see that a lot of times, e even on a personal level, when, when there's been a tornado or a fire and the newscast is out there and we're looking at the rubble of someone's home, what do they always say? We're going to build again. We're going to build again. And so this morning, I want to talk about that concept. Because throughout the Bible, it talks about that idea of a righteous man falling. He gets back up. But sometimes we need to help each other 
get up as we do those things. Now, how many of you got your Bible opened up to Acts chapter 8? How many got your Bible there? Well, that's the wrong place. That is the Ethiopian eunuch, but there's another Ethiopian eunuch. That's why I kind of tease you on that. It's found in the book of Jeremiah. And that's where we're going to go to this morning as we think about another Ethiopian eunuch who does a great help here. Now, we know the book of Jeremiah was written during the Babylonian captivity. He, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. It's written during the destruction that Babylon would have upon that. Uh, so terrible were the times that Jeremiah's companion book is called Lamentations or Mourning or Crying. Before we get to our chapter we're going to look at, let's just go to chapter 6 for a moment, just kind of highlight a couple of verses, just to set us in the scene of which the times were. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 10, the prophet says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are closed and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. And jumping down to verse 13, For from the least of them to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for, for gain. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed of their abomination they have done? They were not even shamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I will punish them, they will be cast down, says the Lord. Then in the, in the powerful statement, verse 16, thus says the Lord, stand by the ways, ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And so we go now to chapter 38 of the book of Jeremiah and the prophet God has used over and over to warn them, to warn them, get rid of these idols, turn back to me. And time and time again, they have not listened. And so as we get to chapter 38, we get the dark warnings is what's going to take place. He tells them in the third verse, the city's going to fall. Notice that the language here, Jeremiah 38, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, the city will certainly be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Notice that the absoluteness of that. He doesn't say it might. And if you step it up, maybe you'll keep this from happening. He says, we're past that. You're going to fall. He tells them in the verse before, if you stay in the city, you're going to die. He says, thus says the Lord, he who stays in the city will die by the sword and by the famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans will. It basically says, you better surrender. It's too late. And you've, God's patience has run out on you, and the city is going to die. And so when you get to the fourth verse, words are took back to the king, and basically Jeremiah is considered a radical. He's considered treasonous. He's telling us to surrender. And so word is brought to the king, and in verse 6, Jeremiah is cast into a cistern. Just to explain that for some of maybe the younger folks who don't know what a cistern is, it's kind of like a well. It's used to collect rainwater. And it's a deep, deep pit. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes, down into the cistern, no water but only mud. Verse 6 says, and Jeremiah sank into the mud. Now, next verse or two, we're going to read about our Ethiopian. Had it not been for the Ethiopian, had the story ended here, Jeremiah would have died. Basically, that's what they're going to do. You're going to put you in this pit, and you're going to sink in the mud, and we're just going to leave you there, 
until you die. No food, no help, only darkness and defeat was before him. And, and right there, we need to remind ourselves, that may describe you. That may describe a lot of people you know, even in your family. That may be exactly how they feel. It may be that they feel like they're just sunk in mud. The life it seems hopeless and lifeless. Maybe you've sunk into the mud of anger and despair, and you feel like there's no one here to help me. But once you read now what takes place, verse 7, an unlikely hero, an Ethiopian, Ebed-Melech, verse 7 tells us, the Ethiopian, a eunuch. Well, he was in the king's palace, heard what, that he had put Jeremiah in a cistern. Now the king was sitting in the gate of Benjamin, and e Ebed-Melech went out from the king's palace and spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they have done to Jeremiah, the prophet whom you have cast into the cistern, that he might die right where he is because of the famine, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take thirty men from here under your authority and bring up Jeremiah the prophet from the cistern before he dies. Had it not been for this Ethiopian, this prophet would have died. That was the context, that was the understanding of what was going to happen. And what takes place next is a powerful story I want to share with you. It begins now as we think about him bringing ropes and rags. Read with me now verse 11. So Ebed-Melech took the men under his authority and went to the king's palace to a place beneath the storeroom and took from their worn-out cloths, worn-out rags, and let them down by the ropes into the cistern to Jeremiah. Then Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Now put these worn-out cloths and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with the ropes and lifted him up out of the cistern, and Jeremiah stayed in the court of the guardhouse. Now right there, we're going to see a powerful lesson for you and I as we think about using these ropes to help him get out of that. You know, when you fall into mud, mud's kind of like a suction cup. I was golfing one time, my ball, if it rolled just a little bit more, it would have been in the creek. So I had one foot in the water, one foot on the creek. And I hit my golf shot and got up and walked away, but the foot that was in the mud, the shoe stayed there. Because that's what mud does. It's like a suction cup. Because you might say, well, if Jeremiah's in this pit, throw a rope down and he'll just climb out. He can't climb out. He's stuck in the mud. And so what they have to do is pull him up. And what we find here is a powerful lesson for you and I in helping each other. Helping each other as we think about the role that God wants us to have. Let's just take a little detour real quickly in our Bibles. Let's notice a couple passages in the New Testament. Turn with me to the book of Luke in chapter 10, if you will. Luke chapter 10. Because one of the things we need to remind ourselves that the New Testament teaches over and over that as Christians, we in essence become God's hands and feet. We are servants of God. And in Luke chapter 10, when we read the story about the Good Samaritan, Jesus would say in verse 36, Now which of these... Three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hand. They said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said, go and D-O. Go and do the same. Notice Jesus didn't say, go and preach this. I don't want you preaching this. I want you doing this. You see, we are in a doing religion. Look also, if you will, in the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Galatians, chapter 6. You know this verse so well. In verse 10, 
of Galatians chapter 6, there the apostle says, So then while we have opportunity, let us do good. I'm afraid we, we change Christianity into a white-collar religion, where all we do is discuss, debate, and argue, and have theories and principles and ideas, a lot of talk, and not very much doing. What we find here in Jeremiah 38 is a powerful lesson about doing. Bring the ropes, bring the rags. Now, let's go through this and talk about this just real briefly. The idea of rising up. Ropes represent God's word. It's the truth. That's what gets us out of the pit. We've got to have God's word. Our reading just a moment ago, John chapter 8, 31 and 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth is what will make you free. And so we need to see that without the ropes, without God's truth, we cannot get someone out of the cistern of life. We cannot help a person. We can talk all day long. You know, you shouldn't be doing this. You know, that's not the way God made you. You ought to do better than that. What are you doing in that pit, Jeremiah? There's no hope in that pit. You'll die in that pit. We can talk and talk and talk and talk. He's going to stay in that pit until somebody throws him down a rope. And that's you. And that's me. Helping one another to do this. Because without the ropes, a person will never get out of that pit. Now, let's look at some passages that will help us. And what we're going to talk about is the idea of repentance. That's what God's Word does. God's Word changes us and causes us to repent. And so sometimes we may be in the mud by our own choices. Sometimes a person may be sorry that they're in that mud. They may be feeling bad about that. But you know, just feeling bad and having tears and sympathizing with somebody, I'm so sorry you're in that pit, Jeremiah. I re really wish you could get out of there. Is not going to get them out of there. What's going to get him out of there is the word of God. He's got to be told the truth and kindness, but it has to be done. And so repentance is more than crying. Repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is the idea of turning a direction. And the Bible teaches this in a lot of places. You know, in school, our children are taught this little phrase uh, concerning a fire to stop, drop, and roll. You know, if there's a fire, I'm running to the snow. <laughs> I'm going to make doors where there are no doors, you know. I mean, that's, that's the way I would do it. But, but in God's principle concerning repentance, it's stop, turn, follow. That's the idea of biblical repentance as we try to follow God. And so we find verses like Luke 13 and verse 3, where there it says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What's he saying there? You've got to turn. You can't stay the same way you are. You're in this pit, and you've got to get out. What's going to get you out of that pit? The ropes of God's word. You need God's truth to get you out of that pit. Sometimes I think we're short on God's word. Sometimes I think we want to come up with theories and ideas and all kinds of things, and what we fail to do is say, this is what the Bible teaches this is what you need for your marriage. This is what you need for your attitude. This is how you need to forgive. God tells us plainly. Remember the show Gilligan's Island? It's still alive and well in reruns. You had Gilligan and Skipper and Marianne, the millionaire, and all, all those cute little characters, you know. My favorite was the professor. He could do everything. He could make coconut bombs. He could make radios. But you ever notice one thing in that show he never did? Fix the boat. <laughs> Dude, that's your problem. You got a hole in your boat. Fix, you can do all this. Fix the boat and get off that island. And sometimes we do everything but 
fix the boat. What's going to fix it? Teaching God's word. Look again, if you will. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some men count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come. There's that word, repentance. Again, we find in our Bibles, John chapter 8, verse 11. When the woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus, they wanted to stone her. Jesus says, if you're without sin, go ahead. And, and they all left one by one. And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way from now on, sin no more. Don't do this anymore. You're changing your life. You get a second chance, turn that vehicle around. So repentance begins in the mind and becomes a change in behavior. Revelation 2 verse 21 reminds us of one of the churches that God was talking to. He says, and I gave us, he talked about Jezebel, time to repent, but she does not want to repent. So when we think about ropes, we think about helping people. We've got to use God's word. God's word works. It worked on us, didn't it? And it will work on other people. Now, the rags represent compassion. And what's so interesting about Jeremiah 38 is the Ethiopian, he didn't bring ropes and forget the rags. He brought them both. Now, if you put ropes underneath you and you're stuck in the mud and you pull somebody up, you're going to damage him. You're going to hurt his arms. He may be out of that cistern, but he may have all kinds of health issues now because how rough you were on him. So the Ethiopian was smart enough to bring some rags, put those underneath your armpits, so when you put the ropes under them, we pull you up, you're not going to get hurt. Now here's the balance. Sometimes there are brethren who just want to use the truth. This is the sword of God's word, and I gave it to that guy. Well, there's nothing left because you killed him. But then there's others who are so compassionate, they don't use any truth. And so what we're seeing here is the balance of what God wants us to do. And so, in the book of Luke, let's go to Luke chapter 15. Well, I'm going to look at verse 5 before we get to verse 20. But Luke 15, we have the story of three, or really four lost. I sometimes think it's one story with four points. Lost sheep, lost coin, and two lost boys. One was lost at home, and one was lost in a far country. But in Luke 15, notice verse 5 about the shepherd who found that one lost sheep, he left the 99 and went after the one that was lost. And notice the language here that's used. Luke chapter 15 and in verse 5. Here it says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. Now, you're a farmer. You're used to that stuff. Farmers smell like farm, you know. Now, years ago, I double day with this guy who raised pigs. And he smelled like pigs. And when we double dated, he, he always carried brute in his, in his glove compartment. He just, he just used a whole bottle. He says, what do I smell like? I said, a pig with brute. <laughs> I mean, it smell like. Now, 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 for us city people, I mean, that, that, you know, you're going to pick up that dirty old sheep and put, you, that's heavy, and you know what kind of bugs. And that, yes. Now, notice, he didn't beat that sheep all the way home. You'll never run away from me again. He didn't break its leg. He picked it up and put it on his shoulders. What is that? That's rags. That's compassion. So we get to verse 20 as we talk about the prodigal. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And again, that wonderful concept of how important that is. The writer Philip Yancey tells the story of a drug addict 
that was selling her daughter to men for drug money. And he said, I didn't know what to tell her. He said, I, I said, finally, have you thought about going to church? She replied, church, I already feel bad. They will only make me feel worse. Makes you wonder sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes we have the ropes, but we forgot the rags. And sometimes we need to see how important. Now, compassion alone will not save a person. Rags alone, he could just throw in all kinds of rags down there. No, Jeremiah would still have been in that pit. You see, rags alone is not going to get him out of there. You had to have the ropes, but what you had to do is you had to have both. Compassion alone will not pull someone out. But we need to see the balance. And notice these scriptures here. Notice how many times the New Testament shows us this balance. As we think about truth and compassion. We go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore. That's the ropes. How am I restoring him? I'm taking him to the word of God. I'm showing him this is what God says. But how do you use the ropes? Such a one in a spirit of gentleness. See the racks? Ropes, racks. It's not either or, it's both. Again, look at another passage. 2 Timothy 2, verse 25, with gentleness, there's the rags, correcting, there's the rope. Those are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. And 2 Peter, chapter, rather 1 Peter 1, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, there's the ropes, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness. It's not one or the other, it's both. Now, turn your Bible, if you will, with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Sean will be getting you there in your Bible class before too long. But in John 4, we read about the Samaritan woman at the well. And I want you to notice just a couple of expressions used here in verse 17. Starting in verse 16 of John 4. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus says, you have well said I have no husband. Verse 18, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have truly said. Now take that out here and put it in 2021. We've got a gospel meeting this week, and, and I'm, I invite a co-worker, you tell one of the elders. Great, well tell me about this co-worker. Well, she's living with somebody. Okay, well, we can kind of work on that. She's been married five times. Oh, no. No. Don't bring that person. You know what we do sometimes? We pre-qualify people. You heard pre-qualify? That's what you do when you buy a house. It saves the real estate agent a lot of effort. You know, you, you drive them down through the neighborhoods, and you drive them in other neighborhoods. and other. There's a house for sale. It costs $5 million. Ooh, I want to see, I want to see that one. And the agent says, you don't have, let, let's pre-qualify you first for a waste of my time and your time. And they find out all you can afford is an apartment, you don't go see that house, you see. That's called pre-qualify. Sometimes we do that spiritually. We say, oh, that guy, you know, he has tattoos. Or this guy, I was in the airport not too long ago, and the guy sitting right across me, a young man, had the bluest hair I've ever seen. He had satanic earrings and a shirt that says death. I think, well... Preacher, start a conversation. <laughs> and I did. You know, it's kind of hard. You know, you know, great outfits you got there, brother. I don't know. <laughs> but, but what we do sometimes is we try to find, here's a nice family. 
They're on their first marriage. They have a couple kids. He's got a good job. He'd make a great member. You know who Jesus says makes a great member? Anybody who's lost. Anybody who's lost. Iron out those wrinkles later on, but anybody who's lost. And what we got to do is quit pre-qualifying people. And again, sometimes we got to get back to understanding this concept of the ropes and the rags and what's involved with that. Rags without ropes will not help a person out of the pit. That's reality. I'll send them a card. I'll let them know I'm praying for them. I'll encourage them. That's all great. But they're still in that pit. But when we have ropes without rags, we may hurt people. How many people have walked away from God's kingdom? Not because doctrinally I don't, I don't agree with what you teach about Jesus. It's not this. It's the way the brethren have treated me. How many preachers have quit preaching recently because of the way they were treated? Oh, we've got the ropes, but somehow we forgot the rags. And if you've been around for very long, almost all of us have a horror story of how somebody has mistreated us. One time I was standing at the door, and services were over. People were going out, and I was shaking hands. And a guy came up to me and said, you had all week, and that's the best you could do. Ooh, he shouldn't have said it that day. <laughs> a lot of days I just agreed with him, said, yeah, I'm sorry, but not that day. I don't know, something, my, my biscuits were already burning that day. So I looked at that guy, and I said, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, you take next week's sermon, and I'm going to sit in the front row, and I'm going to see how you do this. He, he was thinking about that. Now, don't forget, you got to do Wednesday night class. Don't forget, you got to do the bulletin. And don't forget, you got to do Sunday night sermon. Well, i got to have more time than that. I said, that's all I got. And then he bowed his head, and he apologized. You see, sometimes we try to say things. But we forget the rags. And what we say may be right, but we can be so hurtful. We hurt people by the way we say it. And so what a wonderful lesson as we think about this concept of bringing both of them. So there is a time for you to bring ropes and rags. Other people in this church, other people in your family, other people who you work with are going to need ropes and rags. And it's going to be up to you to bring them. Don't just bring the ropes. Don't just bring the rags. You've got to bring them both. Pastor, like James chapter 5, my brother, if any among you is strays from the truth, one turns him back, and they know they turn the sinner from the error of his way and saves his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. How important it is for you to help somebody. Now, again, par for the course for a lot of us is I'll go tell the elders. That's their job. That's messy. I don't want to do that. You know, what, what if this Ethiopian in Jeremiah 39 says, well, you know what? I'm not of Israel. I'm an Ethiopian. That, I mean, th this is not my national concern. There's a king. His king's men had sold him, put him in the pit. It, you know, he shouldn't be there, but really it's not my business. He made it his business. He made it his business because he had a heart that cared. And when you have heart that cares, as Jesus teaches us to, then you will do what you can. You'll bring the ropes and the rags, and with compassion, you'll show somebody there is a better way. Calm down. Look at what the Bible teaches. But then the opposite of this, there comes a time when you may need somebody to come to you with ropes and rags. Because we all need it. 
We're all in this together. And so Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20, listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise in the rest of your days. Again, that very idea that there are times when somebody needs to come to us, and how do we want them to come? With a rope around our neck, dragging us down the road? No. With a bunch of rags that doesn't change anything in our life? No, we want both. Tell me the truth, but tell to me kindly. And that is the nature of God's people. And I think for a lot of us, we've forgotten that. We have, we have driven truth, 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 which we need so strongly, we've forgotten compassion. And what's happened through the years is we've stepped on hearts, we've crushed families, we've run people off, but I told them the truth we will satisfy our, our conscience with, but we forgot the rags. And this passage reminds us rags and ropes are needed together. So truth and compassion, we think about it, it's a balance. It's not one or the other, it's both. It's both in our preaching. It's both in our leadership. It's both in our homes. And it's both in our hearts. That's where it begins. And that's what makes all the difference as we think about living for Jesus and doing the things that God wants us to do. This is how we help people rise up. This is how we rise up. Who would have ever thought way back in the book of Jeremiah, we'd read about an Ethiopian eunuch. But he's the hero, and he makes all the difference. One of my favorite writers is a guy by the name of Bob Moorhead. He writes several poems and little things, and I just like the way he writes. And this one piece is called A Sense of Direction. He said, I am saved, sanctified, surrendered, and sent. I've caught the vision. I'm on the venture. I can see the victory. I can feel the valor. I can become valiant and vocal. The hour is late. The situation desperate and the need urgent. I must run, not walk. Speak now, not later. Act, not tarry. Preach, not pamper. Confront, not coddle. Move, not meander. Speak, not sputter. Proclaim, not procrastinate. Share, not shirk. Soar, not sit. Burn, not smolder. I cannot wait. I must not linger. I dare not stop. I will not defer. I've set my course. I won't look back, let up, lie down, or let loose. The world is lost, and time is now. Man is doomed, sin is rampant, the Lord is ready, the harvest waiting, the gospel powerful, the spirit convicting, the need is great. There is no time for elaborate plans, for casualness, corralling, curtailing, conforming, or conferring. No time for detours, coffee breaks, sick leaves, or sabbaticals. The curtain is falling, the act is over, the players are leaving, the lights are out. No timeouts left. The band is marching off the field. The clock has stopped. The game is over. We can wait no longer. I'm headed for a new city, a new home, where I'll dwell with a new name and a new age. I know where I've been, I know where I am, and I know where I'm going. The time is now. All of us who are Christians, are Christians because we stood upon the shoulders of someone else. Mom or dad, preacher, Bible class teacher, a friend, someone cared enough about you to talk to you about Jesus. Now, it might have taken a little process for you to get there, but we became a Christian, not flying solo, but because someone else. 
And I believe that responsibility and that opportunity is given to us to pass that on. God has one plan for growing the church, and that's evangelism. There's no plan B. There's not bringing in a marketing team from New York. There's no other strategy. If this generation decides to be silent, if this generation decides we're not telling anybody else, the growth stops. And so it's up to us, not just in growing the kingdom, but in helping those who are in to stay in. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world. There's a lot of stuff that shouldn't be read that's on the Internet. There's a lot of things that's just discouraging a lot of people today. And we need to see that we need to have our ropes and our rags ready. We need to be there to help one another. We need to realize that someday when we're all in heaven, we may meet that one person and say, you know what? I'm going to sit by you for the next 5,000 years because it's because of you I stayed with it. Because of you, I became a Christian. Because of you, I learned about Jesus. Ropes and rags. Such a simple story. Such a simple principle. But what a difference it makes in our congregations when we start doing it the way God wants us to do it. You know, there's a song by the 60s group Hollies. I love 60s music, especially English. And they had this great hit, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. And that's the idea, that we're in this together. And you lean on me, and I'll help you limp down the road, because the next time it may be me who's limping, but I need you. And together, hand in hand, we're going to get to heaven. And when we get there, there you are, thankful you helped me. Thankful you helped me. You were a smile when I was crying. You were an encouragement when I was sad. You brought some ropes when I about ready to give up on that Bible. You showed me some things I forgot about. And what you did, you helped me. And that's what that little Ethiopian did way long time ago in the book of Jeremiah. Something bad happened to the prophet. No one was going to do anything. He stepped up, went to the king, and the king said, take care of it. He got some ropes, he got some rags, and he got them out there. We'll do the same. If we can help you in any way, why don't you come? Let's stand. Let's be saying.